My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Julia Smith and Sean Carlton. The stories we're told about the past shape our understandings of ourselves and the world in the present, and therefore our relationship to struggles for a better future. And of course, the stories that most of us get a chance to learn usually silence the voices of anyone outside the elite, erase important struggles, and make it very difficult to understand how we ended up with the world that surrounds us today. This in turn gets in the way of building collective efforts to fight for change. Intervening in this can take a lot of different forms. Indeed, you could argue that any time we take action for justice in the present, we're disrupting these settled stories of all is well, and there is no alternative, and that's just how it is, and all of the erasure and silencing they rest upon. But, even so, one important element of undoing the harm of these inaccurate and oppressive histories is doing the work to address them directly, unearthing those struggles, amplifying those voices, and telling those stories in ways that as many people as possible can hear and learn from. The Graphic History Collective is no stranger to doing that work. The grouping of scholars, artists, educators, and writers first came together almost a decade ago to produce a graphic novel-style history of May Day in Canada. Since then, they've worked on multiple projects that bring together historical research and art. The history focuses on the experiences of people who are marginalized and on struggles against exploitation and oppression. The art has usually been in a comics format, and the goal in combining them is to popularize that history from below and make it accessible. Over the course of this work, they've built relationships with a network of creators and collaborators far beyond the collective itself. Their most recently completed major project was the edited collection Drawn to Change, published by Between the Lines in 2016, which features nine short graphic histories of diverse working-class struggles in the Canadian context. The Graphic History Collective's most recent project is called Remember, Resist, Redraw. Starting in January 2017, each month, they've been releasing a poster that graphically presents an aspect of history from below in the Canadian context. Topics covered so far include the political past and present of Pride, the Métis resistance at Batoche in 1885, Chloe Cooley's resistance to enslavement and its role in challenging slavery in Upper Canada, the racialized and gendered history of caregiving work in Canada, and much more. From the group's website, you can download all of the posters for free for personal, educational, and activist use, and you can also read the short write-up that accompanies each. The group writes, quote, In order to change the world, we need to be able to imagine alternative ways of living and organizing to bring about social change. We combine art and history because it helps us fuel our radical imaginations and dream of what might be. Activist art encourages us to remember, resist, 
and redraw our world with an eye to changing it for the better. End quote. Julia Smith is a postdoctoral fellow in the Department of History at Rutgers University and a visiting professor in the Department of History at the University of Calgary. Sean Carlton is an assistant professor in the Department of General Education at Mount Royal University in Calgary, and both are members of the Graphic History Collective. They talk about the collective's trajectory, about the Remember, Resist, Redraw project, and about the importance of challenging dominant narratives of Canadian history as one part of supporting struggles for justice and liberation. We spoke by Skype from Calgary. My name is Julia Smith. I'm currently a postdoctoral fellow in the Department of History at Rutgers University and a visiting professor at the University of Calgary in the History Department there. I study the history of worker organizing in Canada in the 20th century, and I'm also a member of the Graphic History Collective. My name is Sean Carlton. I'm an assistant professor in the Department of General Education at Mount Royal University in Calgary, Alberta, Treaty 7 territory. And my work looks at the history of colonialism, capitalism, and the rise of state schooling in Western Canada. And I'm also a member of the Graphic History Collective. So the Graphic History Collective is a group of artists, activists, writers, educators, interested in comics, history, and social change. So we produce comic projects that look at the historical roots of social justice issues. We like to say that our comics show that you don't need tights and a cape to change the world. I'd always enjoyed comic books as a kid, but kind of lost interest as a teenager in, in comic books and became more interested in music and history in university. I was taking a labor history course with a professor of history at Simon Fraser University. His name is Mark Lear. And at the end of the class, he approached me because I was holding a copy of Mouse by Art Spiegelman. And he said, oh, are you interested in comics? And I had been reading this particular piece for another history class. And I said, oh, not really. And he explained to me that he was in the process of actually creating a comic book about the history of Mayday, something that I didn't know a lot about. And he was looking for people interested in helping out with this project. The project came about because Mark Lear was a member of the Canadian Committee on Labour History, which was a group of historians. And what they wanted to do was find ways to talk about labour history in a more accessible way. And they applied for a big government grant through the Social Science and Humanities Research Council of Canada. And they got a pool of money to create a comic book about labour history. But the problem was that nobody knew how to actually create a comic book. They knew a lot about labor history, but creating a comic book was outside of their wheelhouse. So the Graphic History Collective really was trying to bring in a number of different people with different skills, artists, researchers, writers. I agreed to kind of have a meeting with a few of the other people that he put together. And organically and in a very ad hoc way, we created the Graphic History Collective. Myself, Robin Fulvick, Sam Brad, Trevor McGilligan, and Mark Lear to produce Mayday, a graphic history of protest, which was our first comic book. So with very little training, we all kind of came together to promote and create this particular project. In short, Mayday was a research project trying to, you know, people know about Mayday or International Workers' Day as a day celebrated by workers around the world. And yet the origins of Mayday in Chicago and then how they spread to Canada and how Mayday has been celebrated in Canada for over 100 years 
is something that folks don't know as much about. So this group of historians who applied for this grant wanted to use the accessible format of a comic book to publicize the history of May Day as it had been celebrated and continues to be celebrated in Canada today. So the idea was to reach new audiences and make labor history cool again. And I think in that way, the very small, modest project succeeded because we ended up selling over 4,000 copies of this comic book to educators, labor activists, people just generally interested in Canadian history and comics. A lot of people know more about the origins of May Day and its history in Canada. And for that, I think we were all really excited about the potential of perhaps taking on more projects. So I joined the collective in 2012 after they'd already finished the first project. I came on board just as we were starting up the second project, the graphic history project. I never fancied myself a real comics person. I was more coming at this out of my interest for history and social justice issues. And I thought the comics format presented a really interesting way to reach a new audience with historical research. And so what happened was after May Day had wrapped up, Robin, Sean, Sam, and Trevor had learned a lot about producing comics, and they were excited to do another project, but wanted to work with more people, involve more people, do some skill sharing. And so they put out an open call, along with Paul Buell, who has produced a number of historical comics. He's an American historian. And they received a number of proposals for short comics that would look at any topic really to do with history and social justice issues. So it was broad, open, people from around the world wrote in expressing interest. And those projects would be completed and then posted for free on the GHC's website. In total, we completed nine comics, 12 maybe. And there was a whole range and those are all still up on the website. If people are interested, they can check that out. So there was one on the Black Panthers in Portland, Oregon one on a French feminist named Suzanne Volcan, who was active in the 19th century. There was one on the history of the environmental movement, one on the sit-down strike in Flint, Michigan by auto workers. So a real range, as you can see, because we had put out an open call. When we finished that project as it wound down, we noticed that a lot of the projects actually looked at different aspects of Canadian labor and working class history. And that probably reflects just the fact of our networks, who we knew, who submitted projects the projects that we ourselves finished. And so we thought that producing an edited collection of those comics in particular would be a great contribution to the field of labor and working class history and comics in Canada. Drawn to Change focuses on workers' struggles over a 150-year time period. We start with the Knights of Labor in the late 19th century. We look at Indigenous longshore workers organizing in the Vancouver docks in the 1920s. There are comics about the On to Ottawa Trek, the Socialist Feminist Union in the 1970s in Canada called Sorwalk, right up to the Days of Action in 1990s Ontario and the struggles of Filipina living caregivers in the 21st century. So there's a great diversity of the kinds of workers' struggles that the comics look at, as well as a broad time period drawn to change, tries to give the reader a slice of Canada's diverse working class history. One of the things we always like to say, too, is that, of course, there are huge gaps. I mean, there's only nine comics. And again, it was a result of an open call. So we don't in any way view Drawn to Change as representative of the entirety of Canadian labor history. You know, we don't have anything on the prairies, for example. We don't have anything on the north. 
there's whole groups of workers that are excluded. But that being said, we still think that it's an important contribution. And in the book, in the introduction, we do talk about how we hope that it will inspire people to tell their own stories about their own communities and family members. For example, one of the comics in the collection is by David Lester, and that looks at the Battle of Ballantyne Pier, which occurred in Vancouver in the early 20th century. It was a violent conflict between workers and police. And David actually had a personal connection. I believe it's his grandfather's story that he's telling. And so to me, that's just a great example of how people can use the comics medium to tell and explore their own family and community stories. Tell me about the initial conversations that led to the Remember, Resist, Redraw project. When Drawn to Change started to wrap up and we finally published the edited collection last spring, we decided to think about how we could continue to build up our momentum and grow our networks of artists and activists wanting to take on history and activism in different ways. And we started to think about Canada 150, the celebration of Canada's so-called 150th birthday. And we knew through our own networks that there was an interest in finding ways for art to speak back critically to that project. And we thought that our growing network perhaps would be interested in taking on some form of resistance to the commemoration of Canada 150 as an overly nationalistic celebration. We started to talk amongst our collective members and reach out to just a few people to see if they would be interested in creating something. And the idea for a poster project emerged that would be very organic and directed by artists that wanted to contribute rather than the Graphic History Collective saying these are the 10 or 12 things we want to focus on or speak back to or criticize. Instead, it would emerge as the collective approaching different artists to see what kind of stories they would want to highlight as part of a project that spoke back to Canada 150. As we discussed too, we also felt that we didn't want to tie the project explicitly to 150. So although that was one of the things that we originally were talking about, we wanted it to have a life beyond that. So we launched it this year, but we were very conscious that we wanted it to be an ongoing project that, yes, would speak back to what's happening this year, but also live beyond that, continue on, highlight marginalized histories, challenge conventional understandings of certain historical figures and events. And also reflecting our kind of collective approach, we thought it would be a great way for folks who contact us saying, you know, I'm really interested in what you're doing. I'd like to get involved, but I don't know how to produce a comic or I've never done this before. It's overwhelming. A poster is a much less intimidating project to undertake than even just a 10 page graphic novel. I think people don't realize how much work goes into them. So we thought it was also a way to invite new voices and new perspectives into the projects that we work on. Why is it important to challenge the histories bound up in the Canadian nation-building project? And what gets ignored in those mainstream narratives? Many of us in the collective come out of an academic history background. And so I think for us, we had always kind of had a critical perspective on the conventional understanding, given that we've been studying it. When you look at the ways in which history is often celebrated, you can look, for example, to Canada, the story of us that CBC just spent a ton of money on and go a 10 part series. And what you see in many of these venues is the same history being told. So it celebrates people that are described as leaders who are often white men that were quite wealthy. And yes, occasionally they'll throw in a woman, a person of color. Increasingly, they're including more indigenous people, especially in more modern periods. But for the most part, the narrative stays the same. 
It focuses on a very narrow segment of the population and other people's stories get left out. So the contributions of workers, for example, is huge. And it's something that doesn't get talked about very often outside of maybe the railroad. You know, workers built the railroad, but other than that, they're left out. Those kinds of things, you know, the contributions of people of color and workers often get left out. And while we're seeing some change, I think, in the dominant narratives, not enough change from our perspective. And as a settler, one of the things that I try and do in my work is listen to Indigenous colleagues and activists about the way that they wanted to approach Canada 150. And of course, it's divided. It's very diverse in terms of the approaches. But a lot of what I was hearing was frustration by many Indigenous historians and activists that Canada was trying to usurp or bring in Indigenous narratives to the story of Canada. And so much history in Canada is written to bolster the nation, to build up the nation. We need to understand that oftentimes history is a form of nation building. It brings people together and inspires forms of nationalism and participatory notions of participating and building up Canada. And what we wanted to do is accent alternative histories that perhaps rather than building up the nation, try to unsettle what Canada looks like today and create space for alternative visions about how we might be able to relate to each other, not just in the past, but in the present and future. We were very much inspired by the idea of accenting people's histories and that there is power in understanding alternative notions of what happened in the past. So we're very much in agreement with queer activist and historian Gary Kinsman when he argues that to develop our radical imagination, we need to work against the systematic social organization of forgetting these marginalized histories. And the necessary antidote, he argues, for this social organization of forgetting is the resistance of remembering alternative histories. And so we wanted to create a space and a platform where marginalized voices can create artistic projects to speak back to that project. We take a lot of inspiration as well from Howard Zinn, who was an activist historian in the U.S., and he was very much about people's history, but also the importance of hope. A common thread that runs throughout our projects is that, again, it's not necessarily building up the nation, but building up people whose stories have not been told. We try to always focus on bringing a critical perspective, but still looking for hopeful stories. And that doesn't mean shying away from difficult truths, but it does mean facing them and looking for opportunities to tell new stories that get marginalized. A really important part of this is that the creation of Mayday and Drawn to Change showed us that alternative and activist histories can be a resource for people to learn from and to lean on as they try and create new forms of social change today. And we felt that an ongoing history poster project that accented these histories could be an important resource for people to turn to. Sometimes it's hard to envision what social change would look like. So we wanted to create this project as an ongoing resource for people. How have you done outreach to get contributors for the Remember, Resist, Redraw project? We first reached out to artists that we had worked with in the past. Most of them, I think, were drawn to change. And so we contacted them to see if they would be interested. Many people were very interested. And then again, it was really kind of a grassroots organic process. We said to people, you know, what are you interested in? And many people chose to talk about things that reflected their own communities or their own research interests. 
And in some cases, people like, for example, Leanne Charlie, the first poster, she illustrated and wrote her own introduction for her poster. We should have mentioned that, sorry. Each poster is also accompanied by a short essay or write-up, just giving some broader context and explaining the art. So Leanne decided to do hers herself. Other folks, we paired them up or they knew someone. So for example, a second poster, Chloe Cooley, the art is done by Naomi Moyer. And we put her in touch with Tunke Aladjebi, who's a PhD student at York. It's been very organic depending on the artist and the writer, if people needed to be paired up or if they had those skills themselves. And I think the posters that have come out so far and with the ones that are still to come, that reflects that. I mean, you can see there's a broad range of topics covered from the political history of pride to the history of caregiving work in Canada by racialized women, a real diversity of topics. When we were originally talking about getting this project off the ground, we created a long list of people and events that we think should be covered in an alternative history project. And our original idea was that we would say, okay, well, we want a history of Black Canadians in some form or fashion. We should approach this particular artist to do it. And increasingly, we became uncomfortable, I think, with how that might tokenize specific forms of history. So instead, what we decided to do was take some of that control away from the collective, and instead invite different artists that we knew to shape and determine what the project would look like in the end. And if we noticed that there were particular gaps, then we might be able to step in and ask particular artists. And what was really fascinating about that kind of decentralized form is that as we started to approach people we wanted to work with, we noticed that a lot of the gaps that are often noticeable in dominant narratives were being covered right away. How are you distributing the posters? So all of the posters are posted on our website and they're available for free download for personal educational use, obviously not for sale. Our vision was really that these posters would be widely available online with no barriers for people as long as they have an internet connection and they can download it and that folks would circulate them amongst their networks, that they would print them off and put them up in their communities. We had people send us some photos of the Pride poster in particular that got posted around Toronto during Pride this year, which was really exciting to see. If anyone's listening and has posted a poster anywhere else, please do send us a photo. So as of right now, if folks are listening and interested, they can go on, download the PDF and print it out, put it up at your office, at your school, you know, take it to your community group, circulate them around. That's our vision for now. What happens in the future, we don't know. But for now, we just wanted them to be out there and easily accessible to folks. And we have organized a number of what we've called pop-up people's history exhibits of a limited print run of some of the posters that have been debuted so far. We've had exhibits in Calgary, Vancouver, Haida Gwaii. We're working with the AGO to have a number of the posters on display during an event in July there. I just want to say thank you to Mount Royal University for providing funding for us to do that initial print run that's allowed us to do some of those exhibits. We really do rely on community donations and things like that to help us put on things like the pop-up exhibits. What do you see as the significance of the graphical character of your collective's work, particularly given the fact that there seems to be a growth in interest in graphic history in recent years? Using the combining of text and images has a long history, and it's long been used as a way of communicating lots of information, but also political information. 
And we take inspiration from some of the really early radical labor comics like Mr. Block by Ernest Rip, which was produced for the industrial workers of the world. Also things like White Collar by Giacomo Patri, which is a series of lino cuts. So it has a long history, but I think there has been a recent resurgence of interest in it. And I think that one of the things that we've tried to keep in mind is that graphic works are often accessible for people that maybe don't want to sit down with a 30 or 40 page article or a 200 or 300 page book. What we try and do is use graphic visuals to draw in an audience and offer them very quick and easily digestible information that is meant to increase their critical consciousness, but also inspire them to take action in the world today. That combination has really been received well, I think, by the people that are engaging with our work. Comics don't always have to even be translated. So even if they're published in English, people who might not read English or the language that the comic was produced in can still follow along with the images. I mean, that's one of the reasons why organizers liked them and have liked them for so long is that they're accessible. They can cross language boundaries. They're accessible across a range of ages and things like that. So I think that hasn't changed. What's coming up for the Graphic History Collective in terms of Remember, Resist, Redraw, but also new projects? We have a number of exciting posters rounding out our first cycle of Remember, Resist, Redraw. We have projects looking at John A. MacDonald's role as the architect of residential schools and Indigenous genocide. We have projects looking at labor history in Atlantic Canada. We have posters on the Gustafson Lake standoff in British Columbia and Idle No More activism in Quebec and the role of Indigenous women, particularly in that struggle. So we're really excited about the broad collection of pieces that will be posted in the next six months. We have two projects. One is a short graphic novel looking at the history of the strike as a tool of political protest in Canada. And that project's being funded by the British Columbia Government and Service Employees Union. They've given us some money to produce that short project, and we're very excited. We've just finished the storyboard, and we're hoping to get art going on that in the fall. And the second one is looking at the Winnipeg General Strike. So 2019 will be the 100th anniversary of the Winnipeg General Strike. So we're working with some folks in the city of Winnipeg to produce a graphic novel looking at the strike and placing it in the broader context of nationwide protests, and really, I guess, global, in 1919. And of course, continuing Remember, Resist, Redraw as we are able and as artists contact us and we can facilitate that project as an ongoing outlet and space for smaller projects that aren't necessarily easily translated into a larger graphic novel format. So keeping those three things going will keep us busy for the next few years, for sure. You have been listening to my interview with Julia Smith and Sean Carlton of the Graphic History Collective. To learn more about their work, including their current Remember, Resist, Redraw poster project, go to graphichistorycollective.com. That's graphichistorycollective.com. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to suggest topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. 
I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week.